You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Welcome. This episode is our mid-season recap. I am going to share the takeaways that I have learned over the last 10 episodes looking at 10 different works of art by different artists. I feel like who art ed? Try to spice it. Who art ed? Mr. Wood art ed me. <laughs> yeah. Either way, it's, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to a great start. When I think back to the first episode with George Seurat's Sunday on La Grande Jatte, the thing that I would recommend to all artists is make your paintings more colorful. I always recommend using color to change the value instead of just using black and white. When we talk about value, we're talking about the relative lightness or darkness of the colors, what most people would refer to just as the shading. When we mix in black or white to make a color lighter or darker, it does obviously make it lighter or darker, but it also makes the colors a little bit less bright and bold and vibrant. It makes them, it makes them sort of paler. If we use yellow in the highlights, blues and purples in the shadows, it's going to maintain that intensity of the the initial hues. The colors are going to seem a little bit more vibrant, and in my experience, it usually makes the painting look a little bit more interesting. When I think of Hokusai's Great Wave off Kanagawa, the one thing that really strikes me is that was a composition that shows sort of potential energy. We see and we can imagine what's about to happen. He doesn't spell it all out for us. He doesn't show the fishermen and the boats crushed by the waves and the devastation. He shows the wave towering over them. And we we can infer from that that, that those fishermen are not having a great day. But he leaves it to our imagination. He sets the stage and we can see and imagine what's happening next. And that gets us thinking and that is more interesting. It is setting the stage, but allowing the viewer to see and infer what's going to happen instead of spelling it all out. I always find it most interesting where I see the potential for something to happen. When I think of the episode on African masks, one of the things that I am struck by is just how visually pleasing and satisfying symmetry can be. 
When I see a symmetrical design, everything sort of feels like it is at rest, it is in place, it is very calming and soothing to me. And one of the other things that really struck me about the African masks is the rich variety of colors, textures, and patterns, the variety of materials. Artists need to be very careful in selecting different materials to combine to make something that is new and innovative and original. Because when we see something we haven't seen before, or we see something that has unexpected textures and dimensions, it holds our attention, it captivates us. When I think back to Tommy Watson's paintings, again, there is that intensity of the colors, and he was another painter using dots, but what struck me was that by using a strategy of making abstracted landscapes and everything like that, he made his work a little bit more timeless. Um, Whenever we see things that are representational, it ties it to a certain culture and a certain time period. When we looked at Surratt's painting, it seemed very old. But when we looked at Tommy Watson's, that is something that could have been painted today, or it could have been painted a thousand years ago. Because the colors that we see in the landscape and, and that imaginative element, that does not change over time. When I think of the episode on Alphonse Mucha and his, his print of Sarah Bernhardt, one of the things that strikes me is he puts a lot of time and effort into his work, but it still also seems very relaxed and very matter-of-fact in the way that he renders her or draws her. Smooth flowing lines and curvy sort of organic shapes can be very calming and soothing, especially when combined with those soft pastel colors. So if you want your work to be very sort of calming and soothing and just sort of a breath of fresh air, you want to think about the types of lines that you use, the types of shapes that you use, and the colors that you put into your work. When I think of Keith Haring and his Best Buddies piece, and really Keith Haring's work in general, I'm always struck by how he was really thinking about visual communication, what his artwork was saying to his audience. So one of the things that really struck me about his work is he simplified his shapes so they became icons that really it felt like anybody could draw. And that makes his work a little bit more relatable and accessible to to the audience. I also think about how in that simplification, he reduced his figures to shapes and silhouettes of people and just different colors that were not realistic skin tones, which makes it a little bit less tied to any specific culture and any specific time period. Again, that abstraction makes things more open-ended, more universal, and more timeless. And that made his artwork easier for an audience to relate to, no matter where they were from, because it was symbols of people. And it was symbols of people being kind and showing a connection to each other. I would always encourage an artist to think about what message are you sending an audience and what does your artwork say about you? Always make something that you can be proud of and feel good about. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. 
Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. When I think of the episode I recorded about Chuck Close, one of the things that really struck me and stuck with me was what Mr. Hoff said about how Chuck Close viewed his work as not waiting for inspiration, but just continually plugging away at his work. Chuck Close is a very meticulous artist. He takes his time, he carefully grids his picture, and he goes one little step at a time, taking things one small step at a time, breaking it down into smaller, more manageable bits is a wonderful strategy. And that's one of the things that I love about the grid is it makes it possible for you to achieve things that seem impossible at the start. If you look at the overall picture, it can seem overwhelming. But when you take any picture and break it down into smaller pieces, it becomes manageable. And if you have the patience and persistence to take it one small piece at a time, you can achieve amazing results. When I think of Ramir Bearden, I am just struck by how how smart that guy was and how much he brought in all of the different areas of knowledge that he had to his work. So we saw his his work p- referencing art history as well as referencing classical literature. He he studied all different things and being well-rounded in your education and bringing in diverse influences and diverse ideas creates multiple entry points for a diverse audience to find ways to connect to your piece. And so I would always recommend a good artist to study lots of different things, anything that is interesting to you outside of painting and drawing. Read read good books, Find out about science, outer space, technology, and find ways to bring all of your different passions and different ideas into your work. As I think about Leonardo da Vinci's painting, I would recommend everybody pay attention to detail. He thought a lot about optics and how to create a sense of depth. He was very careful in his blending of values to shade and create a realistic sense of a three-dimensional form on a two-dimensional surface. Form is how we talk about shapes when they become 3D. So a circle is a shape and a sphere or a ball is a form. And the way that we make a circle look like a sphere is by, by having not just one flat shade of a color, 
but by having highlights, shadows, and midtones. On something like a ball, generally speaking, you're going to have a lighter, brighter spot sort of in the middle, and it's going to get gradually darker as it goes towards the edges. You would also have a shadow that is cast next to the ball on the table or whatever surface it's sitting on. When I look at the Mona Lisa, I see quite a bit of careful shading and the shadows that are on the form on on her skin, on her face, on her dress, and all around. The other thing that Leonardo da Vinci did, which was not typical for his time, was he thought about atmospheric perspective. Now, atmospheric perspective is the way that things look a little bit fuzzier, a little bit paler as they go off in the distance. We see things that are closer to us in very sharp detail, um, very focused and higher contrast. When things go off in the distance, because of the way that light scatters through the atmosphere, the things farther away are generally going to look a little bit more pale and slightly blue. So generally speaking, for the same reason, the sky looks blue. The sky looks blue because the blue wavelength of light scatters more readily through the atmosphere. Across a distance, we're seeing more of that blue part of the light scattering through the atmosphere between us and that distant mountain, for example. And that is going to make it look a little bit more pale and a little bit more blue. We can't see all the details on those things that are farther away. So linear perspective is the the idea that generally speaking, things farther away are going to look smaller. Things closer to us are going to look bigger. And with atmospheric perspective, you're adding to that the notion that as things get farther away, they also seem a little bit fuzzier, out of focus, pale and more blue. And things closer to us are going to be more detailed, um, more sharply defined, focused, and higher contrast. We're going to see a more dramatic difference between highlights and shadows. When I think of Frida Kahlo and her work, the thing that always strikes me is just the strength of her character. And, you know, for a woman to have been as assertive as she was in her time, especially, but really in any time, for anyone to be so comfortable with themselves and confident in who they are, to show themselves with all of their quote-unquote flaws, put themselves out there like that, it commands a certain respect. When you lay yourself out there and you put things that are personal to you in your artwork, the audience will feel a connection and they feel a warmth towards the artist and the art. And it makes it, it makes it a little bit personal to them, even if the audience doesn't share the, the exact viewpoint, the same background, the same struggles. There's a common humanity. And when we see people allowing themselves to be vulnerable, it's endearing. And it, it makes that art more special. So I would always encourage people to take risks and put, put a bit of yourself into your work. So that wraps up my mid-season review, the top 10 takeaways I had from the first 10 episodes. And I'm going to take a short hiatus and return in February. February 6th will be the next episode that is going to be released, and I'll have 10 more episodes this season. As always, in the show notes, I have links to pictures of the works of art being discussed. And I'll be back in your podcast feed on Thursday, February 6th. 
podcast done.